Welcome to our special event with Michelle Schmidt and Angie Taylor, but Michelle is our highlighted gal today, but Angie, her sister, helped her write this book. Before we get started, um, Stacy has put this whole thing together and has used her spiritual intuition and her gifts that she's so good at to just seek for something that she knew we would all value so much and that would meant so much to her. And I just have had such an incredible experience listening to the audio version of Carried. I finished it about three days ago, and it's just been such a gift to me to have your testimony in my life and the spirit that it brought into my life. Literally, when I prayed about it and thanked Heavenly Father for it. It was such a great experience because I was able to learn so much personally through your book. But I just want to thank Stacy personally and ask her to, to just accept all of our appreciation for putting this together and express our love to her for doing this. And also to just highlight that this is sponsored by Mothers Who Know. And we are... So grateful to have you here. I'm going to turn the time over to Stacy, and she's going to direct our meeting. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, welcome to our Carried webinar with Michelle Schmidt. We're so grateful you guys took the time to be here today in person, and we recognize your time is really valuable, so it means a lot to us that you would come spend some time with us. No, we're happy to be here. Oh, good. We... um. We love Michelle at Mothers Who Know, I have to tell you. We're so honored you're here. The Mothers Who Know is an organization. We're the ones running this webinar today, and we are the parent support group for life-changing services. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Sons of Helaman program, which is an addiction recovery program. At Mothers Who Know, we help moms in lots of places that are really hard to find connection to their Savior and healing and if you ever need to find us again, you can go to lifechangingservices.org and click on Mothers Who Know. That's probably the best way to find us if you need us. So Mothers Who Know has been a blessing in my life as my kids have struggled through some really hard things. Okay, so I want to, again, thank Michelle for coming. This has been a story that I have watched. I've known of the piano guys who you might have heard of and Michelle. And John is in that group. There's a million reasons we wanted you to come, Michelle, and we're so grateful that you did. The Mothers Who Know organization was founded by Karen, and it was created for women who have a son or a daughter dealing with a pornography addiction or other therapeutic need that is really tough. The kind of need that you don't necessarily want to share with your friends or the kind of need where you feel really alone, that other people aren't going to understand what's going on at your house. And we have a lot of women in a lot of places, but that's really where our specialty started. Mm -hmm. So with your story, and because of the nature of your husband's job with the piano guys, yeah, your story became public really fast and Something that I appreciate about reading the book Carried is you kind of hit that first off and 
whether your struggle is known to thousands of people and they're fasting for you and people are putting your name on the prayer roll or there's an ache in your heart that is private, your, your child has an addiction that is not really your story to share, but that's something that is still devastating to your heart. Mm-hmm. The answers of healing are still the same. And the healer really is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So I, I really appreciate you coming to share your story with all these men and women who are listening in. So can you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Annie? Yeah, you bet. So I am a mother of five, and Annie was my second child. And she is um, she was always a very strong-spirited person um, filled with love and um, energy and she had a unique gift to love people um, she was amazing that way and yeah I I love to read books I I love the gospel of Jesus Christ I love to study it I devote myself to my family and um, I've been blessed to be able to do that I worked with my husband and helping him with his career of being a musician. And yeah, I think that might be a good introduction to who I am. Well, can I, can I just say something really quick? I just have to say that it was such a gift for you to let us so far into your life because I don't know. I just think women wonder what every other woman's look life looks like. (laughs) Right, you're living your own life, and you're thinking my life is kind of weird over here. But I wish it was cooler. And then, but when you can yeah. see in someone else's life, especially with how, oh, just how full of light you were with your vulnerability, you let us see all your kids, and the struggles you had with, you know, with your husband's career and being a new mom, and and just the, some of the favorite parts of your life and times of your life. I mean, there's so many things that were just so valuable to us that far surpassed just what you shared about how Christ helped you through this hard time with Annie. So thank you so much for that, because that's really healing for women to see another woman's life and to see that they're not going to die. <laughs> It's so true, and, yeah. and I think that I'm a I'm a private person, so it's really weird that I like share so much in this book. But I just think it's important to be real yeah. <laughs> to just yeah. know that we're all like we're yeah. all living the same life. <laughs> we're all yeah. we're all doing we're all struggling through the but, best we can. Yeah, thank you for that. That was really that 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 to me just brought me into just really get involved because I thought, okay, this gal is real. <laughs> yeah. And my sister, Angie, it was her idea to write the book. She's actually an author. She's written some other things and she's a great poetess. She's got a lot of gifts and, and um, she wanted to do this book and I, I wasn't quite feeling it, but she just said, I feel like this is your story and so she's kind of the one that arranged for us to meet with Deseret Book, and they were excited about it, and she really was the driving force behind it. So but if Angie hadn't been a part of this project, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so it was, it was really special to, 
to um to be a part of it was really awesome i'll just give just if i can give just a little bit of background i when when annie went missing so i live in new mexico which is about 13 miles away driving from where michelle lives 13 13 hours 13 hours and um what did i say say miles miles 13 miles we're really far away from (laughs) (laughs) i'm obviously i didn't do a very good job thinking that one out and um we don't have any family bias and i when annie went missing all of my siblings went up except one other sibling they went to go help search and i i didn't know what to do i didn't know how who's going to take care of my kids and i felt like this horrible i just felt horrible that i wasn't there searching and i would pray about heavenly father should i should i get a plane ticket what should i do and i just kept getting this feeling like no okay you're going to help later you're going to help later which was a weird feeling but that was a feeling i got over and over again don't worry you'll help later. And then when the desire to, to write Michelle's story kept coming and kept coming. And then I was like, Oh, it's not my story. What am I supposed to do? It's not my story, but this desire won't go away. I finally prayed and heavenly father. I just felt like he said, call Michelle and talk to her about it already. You've had this idea now call Michelle. So I did. And, and then we kind of went from there. And so I'm grateful for inspiration and, I'm grateful that Michelle was so willing to trust me and, and all of us with her, her soul, her, you know, her vulnerability and everything that was inside her. So yeah, that was, it was really, it's been a really special writing, just experience period, but from a writer's perspective too, it's been a really special sacred writing experience. So thanks, Michelle. Well, I think if I wanted to write something, I would want my sister to help me. I think that's really (laughs) sweet and special. I love that about you guys. Well, everyone who has not read Carried yet, I put the link to the Deseret Book product page in the chat box. Please get a copy of that. I know on the Deseret Book app, I think there's a way to listen. And that's what Karen did, listen to the book. So if you haven't grabbed the book yet, I, I really hope you will. It's much more uplifting and hopeful than than you think it might be, which I think is really, really special. Do you want to talk to that a little bit, Angie? Oh, um, yeah. I just think a lot of people, I know I've had people who have been hesitant to read it, and they're like, oh, I'm worried it's going to make me sad. And um, I've just, it's just not. It is a very uplifting, like you just feel happier, better. Um, You feel uplifted, even with really heavy subject matter. So Michelle's faith really just uplifts and you feel hope and because of her testimony and the plan of salvation. And so I encourage you to read it. I think it will really help. One of the things that made it so happy for me was Annie, her personality and how you were so thorough at saying who she was for people and with people. So inspiring. It was so cool. And I think just, you portraying who she was and how amazing and happy and good and fun loving and inclusive she was with people just permeated through the whole book and your whole testimony about the plan of salvation was so much more real to me because you made her so real to us in the book. It's just, if I were even questioning ever, is that really true that there's life after this life and 
is everybody going to be okay all in the end? I mean, if I was questioning that, my testimony would have been strengthened just because you did that so well in the book. Well, thank you. Well, Annie was amazing, but she was not perfect. Mm-hmm. She had lots of problems. And um, we all have lots of problems that we're dealing with. And I feel like the nature of this trial was so public. It was so, it was something that um, just, I felt like everybody knew about it. <laughs> everybody that I knew, mm-hmm. knew about it. And I'd go to the grocery store and people would like, look at me. And I mean, it was just a really public thing. And because of that, I was given the opportunity to have a lot of support, which was really a beautiful, sweet gift. But I also know what it's like to struggle privately and quietly because I am also a mother who knows and um, know what it's like to struggle with a son with addiction um, for over a decade. I know what it's like to not be able to share how much you hurt and um, how much you're struggling. So I know what both of those things feel like. And you know what? Quite honestly, there's positives and negatives to both of them. Like, it's kind of, um, it's kind of hard to have everyone know what you're going through. So there is something to, to suffering quietly. <laughs> it is just more private. You don't have to, like, put it out there for everyone to know and analyze and, and discuss and um, all of that. So there are positives and negatives to both. But... Um, but they're heavy. They're both heavy. And the one person that always does know is our Heavenly Father and our Savior. They help us carry, whether um, it's something that we're doing publicly or privately. So I really appreciate that, Michelle. I know this isn't about my story, but I do want to share that when you have a child that's struggling with an addiction like I do, we're talking about walking that broad path of how much you share. Exactly. <laughs> Karen at one point is like, well, you can be really broad with how much you choose to share about your <laughs> son. And I'm like, oh, we know how to be broad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfected the art of being broad. <laughs> totally. Yep. Totally. And, you know, we didn't even know this about Michelle when we set up this event. And it was in our meeting to talk about it that, you know, she just shared that with us. And so we said, oh, that's just something you can share here or, or with everyone. But you can be broad or specific, whatever you want, whatever you choose. So anyway, that was tender that you would share that because it is such a hard, isolated place to be. Mm-hmm. So a few years ago, my kids and their Christmas stocking got tickets to the piano guys from Santa and my kids are pretty geeky and musical and that was that was pretty huge but I didn't expect to feel the Lord's love through going to that concert for my boys who were struggling so intensely there's a song that you might have heard of called it's gonna be okay that was played at this concert and After I attended this concert, I actually wrote a thank you letter to Piano Guys, and I wanted to share a little bit of that to kind of set the context for 
moms who are really struggling in private where their hearts are aching. I wrote, I just can't go to sleep without thanking you guys for what you did tonight. My teenage boys are fighting an intense battle in overcoming an addiction. It is exhausting and discouraging, yet they get up and fight every single day. They want to be clean. They believe in virtue and are working to keep the hearts of their future wives and children safe. They believe and rely on their Savior and have worked to shut out the adversary who tells them that they will never overcome. Their age does not give them the perspective that hard things are part of the plan, but everything turns out okay in the end. They just see hard all day long. But then you perform the song, It's Gonna Be Okay. It's the first time we've heard it. They heard the words, It's Gonna Be Okay. They read the words on the screen. I peeked over and their faces were shining. They felt that they were going to be okay for the first time in a very long time. They thanked me for bringing them that Santa had put these tickets in their stockings seven months earlier. They talked about you guys all the way home. They felt awesome, and you guys did that. Your work and God-given talents allowed them to feel that Heavenly Father was aware of them at that very minute. It's no mistake we came tonight, Mom. They said they were shining, and they know they will be okay. Thank you for taking time away from your family to give my family such a gift. You helped them to feel what I already know, that they are so amazing and they are a threat to the adversary. That's awesome. I'm so happy that you could have that experience. So that's a big thanks from a lot of our mom, the moms that are here today. There's a couple of people who don't know the story of Carried. If you want to just kind of briefly give us an overview, yeah, we'll go from there. Okay. So uh, my daughter, Annie, was up in Oregon. She was working, and she was going to be starting school in January. And she's an avid hiker. She loved the outdoors. And I actually had scheduled to go up and go on a camping trip with her on Wednesday, October 19th. And I talked to her on the Saturday before and, and just told her um, we just kind of made plans, picked you know, me up from the airport, and she bought a bunch of camping equipment. And, and then I hadn't talked to her since that Saturday. And when I, I texted her a few times on Tuesday and said, hey, I'm coming tomorrow. This is what time my plane gets in. And, and um, then when I got in to Oregon, landed in Portland, she wasn't answering my texts. And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe she's doing something or she was kind of flighty. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just rent a car and drive to her apartment. And so I did so. And when I got to her apartment, her roommate answered the door and she just said, I, I thought you guys had already gone camping. Annie's been gone since Sunday. And at that point, we were like, oh, okay, something must be wrong. And um, so eventually I go to the police, and we have a full search and rescue. And they did find her car at the base of an area that is a big hiking area. And um, so we assumed that she'd gone hiking. And after the official uh, search and rescue ended, then... We still hadn't found her and then through very many miracles 
and answers to prayers and um, lots of people exercising their faith in our behalf. Um, I feel like we were led to have people step in and help us with a continued search and eventually dog teams that did find her remains. Um, that is the that is the the basic story of I give the details of what happened with Annie and I in the book I I go every other chapter uh, back and forth between that story and then just experiences in my life that have helped me to know God is real and that He helps us things that have helped my faith to grow along the way in my life that helped me to be able to handle that. And I believe all our lives are that way. We have these things that we get that are hard. And as we learn to turn to God and, and rely upon him gives us the power to get through them. I love that in the book that you do kind of go back and forth between the current story and the, preparatory experiences that you had had leading up to Annie's disappearance that became tutorials for you in trusting God. And you mentioned one in particular, and you say, if you have the book with you, it's on page 106, that this particular experience prepared you to face each day that I woke up and I didn't know where Annie was. I think it was regarding helping your husband with his career. But can you share one of these kind of tutorials, something that you can see now was really preparing you to trust God and that God's timing was worth waiting for? Yeah. You know, someone said to me, um, I believe that every woman has one good book in her. And I totally believe that's true. I believe every woman could write a book about what she has gone through and how she made it through and the things that she learned as she went through those things. And I'm sure every man too, but you know, I'm more sympathetic to women's causes (laughs) and struggles. But yeah, I think that one of the biggest ones was having one of my newborn twins get RSV and almost die. And as I um, grappled with just pleading on my knees for him to survive, it's when you're in that place where you're trying to pray for something, but at the same time submit your will. It's this weird, this is weird, hard place to be in because you so desperately desire for something, but at the same time, you know that you have to stay aligned with God and his will and trust his will. And in order to do that, you have to submit to whatever his will is. (laughs) And so that was something that I share a little bit in the book is when I was praying for that with, for my baby. And I'm like, please let him live, but okay, I've got to submit. And I had to just in prayer, wrestle with the Lord and wrestle with myself and be willing to submit if it was his will to let that baby die. And it's just something that happens inside of us. And, um, and then once I felt like I got to a place where I was like, okay, I feel like I can submit. I feel like I can, as much as I can, I'm trying to do it. 
But now that I've tried to do that, now I'm going to come on strong with all the faith I have to um, ask. And I, and I, you know, I would think of like Lucy Mack Smith on her knees praying for her son and um, just the, the thought that the prayer of a faithful mother is powerful. And I would try to exercise all the power I had in his behalf while trying to submit. (laughs) So that is something that I had to do with the loss of Annie as we tried to find her body. I wanted to find her body so badly. At the same time, I had to submit that maybe we wouldn't and that maybe that would be his will. There were several people. There are several people that have never been found in the Columbia Gorge. And, and the reason why I felt it was so important to, to try to submit is because I need to stay connected to God. Anything that disconnects me from him puts me in such a vulnerable place. And I am, I'm not smart enough to do life without him. I cannot do it without him. I don't know. I don't know anything compared to him. I don't know how to make a world. I don't know how. I can't, I can't do life without him. And so... I can't make him the enemy. I can't turn against him. I have to submit and I have to trust. And I have learned that I can trust him. He is nice. And even though sometimes he puts us through really, really hard things, almost turns it for our good if we stay connected to him. So I don't know. That was one of the examples is when my baby was really sick. That going through stuff like that where you where you practice Submitting and trusting and exercising faith, it, it gives you strength to be able to do it later. And I love the part in the book where you talk about having no choice but to trust in God. In fact, I read this little part to one of my kids yesterday who was struggling. It was at the time when you had to come to terms with the fact that finding Annie's body might not be the Lord's will, like you just talked about. And you write, I had to be okay with that because if my will was not aligned with his, then I would be distancing myself from him and doing this alone. And on my own, I would be a total wreck. He is my all. He is my rock, my foundation, my strength, my support, my savior, my advocate, and my friend. There is no way I could risk separating myself from him especially at such a crucial time of Annie's passing. I'm not smart enough to handle this world on my own. I have and had no choice but to trust him with absolutely everything, even if it meant not finding my daughter. Yeah. So that's on page 138 if you've got your book. Yeah. So what, that, what might that mean to mothers who are dealing with other challenges with their kids where they, you talk about your baby with the RSV where they can't really see past today and past what's hard. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, being a mother who knows it has been, that connection to God has been more important than anything because, because we struggle with hope ourselves. Like there are times when, when we personally question is he ever going to recover how is his life ever going to be whole 
how, you know, and so in order to keep hope, we have to keep the spirit with us and we have to be anchored to our savior. And for me, it's being in the Book of Mormon every day. The Book of Mormon keeps me anchored to my Savior. And it's praying. It's doing those things, reading and praying. And those things keep me anchored to Him, and they renew my hope, renew my strength. They renew my ability to fight the fight. So if you're here in person and you can look over Karen's shoulder, she's got a couple pictures that's kind of the theme for mothers who know we, we've adopted the motto of stay by the tree. And that's really been a comfort for a lot of moms to still find peace in the Savior through those behaviors of reading the scriptures and praying and so that you can still feel peace with your Savior no matter what is going on in your home or whatever storm is rolling in your life. And you talk about something really beautiful in the book a few times about calling upon priesthood power during difficult times Mm -hmm. and that the endowment in the temple is literally a gift of power that our covenants arm our children with protection Mm -hmm. and power. It doesn't mean that obviously doesn't mean that bad things can't happen to them, but how were your children protected through your covenants during this really difficult time? I mean, Annie included, how are your children protected? Well, I think that um, when when you feel like stripped of everything and you just are like, what do I have to stand on? My covenants were really a foundation that I could stand on. I was like, okay, my covenants are in place. And nothing is going to take that away from us. So that is what we're going to stand on. And whether some of my children are on that side of the veil or they're on this side of the veil, no matter what, we're going to be together. So my covenants were everything to me. Um, But also more than just that comfort that it gave me from knowing that those covenants bind us for eternity was power. Covenants are power. They are power to access help. I mean, it's just, it's added help that we get through those covenants. It gives us more confidence before the Lord. And there are times when I would call upon the power of my priesthood covenants. And I I share that in the book because, and I love the way, um, Elder Ballard explains that those covenants are power and they are for men and women equally. And as we keep those covenants, we have help. And and every time I go to the temple, every time I do an endowment, I call down those blessings upon me and my children. And I, I do it with power. (laughs) I try because I believe in them and I believe that they will save us. I, I have absolute belief that, that they will save us and our children. A few weeks ago, I went to the temple and really trying to prepare for this event and making sure that we prepared in the spirit. And I remember really praying and thinking, because I wanted you to feel really safe in this environment of 
how many, 120 participants listening in. And I remember the Spirit whispering to me that all of this, all of our hard and all of the blessings that come from the hard are really reminders that we need our Heavenly Father and that we need our Savior. And maybe without the hard, we wouldn't we wouldn't quite need him as much. So thank you for sharing that testimony about your covenants and the power. Yeah, Stacy, I absolutely believe that. I can honestly say that our family's knowledge of our need for a savior has grown so much through my son's struggles with addiction. I, and I know that I, I have so many friends and you all do that are just struggling with hard things. And what's the purpose? What's the purpose of these things that just like bring us to our knees again and again and again is to know that we need a savior. We're going to know it and we're going to need to know him. And what's going to drive us to, to care about that unless we are struggling through hard things. I think that is the purpose of some of these plagues that we are experiencing right now. It is to make us rely on him. He says, I give unto men weakness, not weaknesses, weakness. We are in a weakened state. Our, we are all fallen and our kids are fallen and we need a savior. So I think that's the purpose. And, and I'm grateful for what we've learned. I'm not grateful for the trial. I hate it. But I'm grateful for what we've learned. And I wouldn't give that up for anything. I have to agree with you on that. I have buried a child in a very different way, in a very different circumstance from Annie. My little Eli was stillborn at eight months. We never got to know him or even know what color eyes he had or have memories with him. Sorry, but I know that God lives and that Jesus Christ has the power to heal because I can be happy again. Even after what I considered at the time to be my hardest trial, and I think it was, but also watching boys that I love dearly struggle to understand their worth when they are dealing with addiction. I'm so grateful that my kids have a savior and that they have been taught about him. And what would I be willing to go through to be with my God again? A lot, (laughs) probably everything because I believe in eternal families. And even if your family doesn't look like the ideal eternal family in this life, maybe Uh, Your husband or your children might not be right there with you at the tree. It will be okay, and that is because of our Savior. So there were many family members and friends and strangers who never stopped looking for Annie after that initial search. I know there's um, one of my friends that's on here. She said she lives in the stake that has the Columbia River Gorge in her stake and her stake was asked to prepare meals for the searchers and you guys were excellent at getting the word out um, or you had some friends 
even strangers who were getting the word out about Annie and, and what they could do to help. And a few people within the search parties had some spiritual experiences of their own where heaven seemed to reach out and provide specific guidance to aid in the search for Annie. So how did you see the hand of the Lord revealed in finding Annie? You know what is so cool that I have learned through that experience of having so many people help us and also through um, my son, he has gained a lot of help and strength in fighting his addiction through Christian music. There is some amazing, beautiful Christian music that is, it's non-denominational, but it is good. And, and as we listen to these songs that talk about the Savior and how people know him, they know him. He is reaching out to them. He speaks to them. He loves them. He is in their lives. And um, Heavenly Father loves his children so much. And the Savior is a Savior for everyone. And he's, he's reaching out to everybody all the time. Anyone that will turn to him and try to be close to him, he's close to them. And it was so neat to see the way he's working in people's lives. And the people that ended up helping us most, they were, they were people of different denominations. And they were receiving visions. And they were receiving dreams. And they were the answers to our prayers. And not that that should be a surprise, but I think sometimes in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we, <laughs> we think we might have a corner on that, and we don't. We don't. And um, the lady that ended up helping us get together our dog teams, Annie Castiel, she, she was a search and rescue person at one point, and she had lost her leg in an accident. So no longer searching, but she was aware of dog teams and she knew like who to contact. And um, she had a dream that she was on the mountain at the, at, in, on Munra, one of those um, mountains, and that she was laying in an area that was kind of like in a, a kind of a pointed area. She could describe it. She was laying there looking up. And she was at the base of some cliffs on the Munro Mountain. And at that point, she was like, we've got to get dog teams in there. And um, the lady that actually went up with the dog teams, her name is Lydia McGranahan. And she was an avid hiker and continued to search. And she had dreams. She was, she, she dreamt that she was on Munra and that she fell. And, and she woke up before she fell, but she felt like she was Annie. And she's like, she's on Munra. She's been on those cliffs. That's where she is. And these people had just miraculous help, divine help to care about this and to come to our aid. And um, I feel like my appreciation for all good people has just expanded like my mind has been expanded like never before and I hope that I can validate every good person you know some of my son's best sponsors have been um 
from other religions. And they're such good people with so much knowledge of the Savior. And they have relationships with him. And they know. They know how to submit. They know how to work step one. They get it. They're living it. And so that is a huge blessing, something that my knowledge of that has expanded and grown, my appreciation of that. Yeah, I really appreciated you putting those stories into your book, Carried. It was was very sacred to read about the experiences of some of the searchers and how motivated they felt and how specific some of their inspiration was in finding Annie. I really appreciated that part of your book. Angie, did you have anything you wanted to add? How are you feeling? I, yeah, I just, I, you know, as I hear Michelle share her, her thoughts, I've had, you know, the spirit testified in me multiple times that yes, this is right, that God loves all of his people. And I don't know where everyone, I mean, I, I saw at the beginning when it's on the gallery view, you can see where people are from. And I, and having lived outside of Utah for the majority of my married life, um, it is a different feeling um, living outside of Utah because there are so many members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Utah. But when you live outside, you are around so many people of different faith. And I, I just second Michelle's testimony that, that God loves all of his children. And I know, I know we all know that we know that, but, but I think when you see it in a tangible way in other people's faith and other people's manifestations of goodness and, and how they help people, and they, I mean, some of the people I ask for help first, none of them are members of the church. They're all people that I, I mean, and part of that is because I know that they will drop it at the drop of a hat to help me. And of course other people will too, but so I just, I know that's true. And I, I also just wanted to second that, um, and Michelle mentions this and carried, but you know, we mentioned it that, that I, we just, I just feel very strongly that Annie was so aware of the, wanting these people to help, you know, and Michelle says that, that, and I felt that again, as she was sharing her thoughts and that these women were probably people Annie would have loved that helped <laughs> and that she would have been like, Oh, these are my people. I love these people. They're kind of crazy like me. And, um, <laughs> and so I just, I felt that as she was speaking and, and I know that's true. And one thing I've always felt a special connection with Annie because I feel like we have some really similar personality traits and um, different struggles and with a, so I just felt it was testimony. I felt that testimony as Michelle was speaking. And I know it's true that God loves all people and that he can use people of other faith and or any of his children to answer our prayers and that we need to seek for that, that we, we need to look for how, for people outside of the church, how they can help. And um, so, and give them opportunities to come cl- closer to their savior through our struggles. So anyway. Thank you, Angie. Well, while we're talking about Annie, I wanted to share a cute picture of her and my brother. They served together in the Georgia-Macon mission as missionaries. See that? (laughs) My brother on the left and um, Annie in the middle. I'm not sure who this sister is. I wish I knew her name. Sister Timoteo. 
there you go. <laughs> but my brother was called, I guess, into local leadership. What, what, what would it be called? The district leader or zone leader or something in the, in the area where Annie was. And my brother said that she was really the first person who believed in him, believed that he could do this hard thing. And she just seemed to have, according to your book, confidence in everyone else other than herself. I mean, that seemed to be something I got out of everyone who knew Annie kind of felt like she was our Annie. She was my Annie. She, she had this amazing ability to touch people in a really personal way, yet she still, she still struggled with um, body issues you talk about and confidence in herself. How do you think she's doing now? I think she's so happy. <laughs> I think she's thrilled. I um, <clears throat> One of the experiences I share in the book is the first day of the search. I, I end up, because of circumstances, I end up driving up by myself to the search. And this is the first time I've gone up the gorge. It's the first time I've ever gone to this place. And so I'm driving by myself. It's been pouring rain for days. And this morning... Um, that the search, the official search begins. Um, it was clear, crisp, beautiful. And the colors were just amazing. They were vibrant blues and greens. And the, and the river was just gorgeous, lined with trees. And on the right was these mountains and waterfalls. And I just, I just spoke out loud and I just exclaimed, Oh, Annie, I can see why you love this so much. I can see why you wanted to share this with me. And, and she said, I know, Mom. I knew you would love it. And we just, we just sat there and I thought, oh, you just talked to me. And you're way excited. And yeah, it's you. It's totally your personality. It's totally you. And you're just so excited that I think this is pretty. And hello, by the way, we're looking for you. <laughs> but she just wasn't sad. She wasn't sad. She was just so excited that I thought it was beautiful. And I just, I know that she's okay. I just, I'm like, she's fine. She's happy. She's at peace. She's not suffering. And that was such a strength to me going into the next month of searching for her and, and, and I, like I share in the book, when I would get these interviews, these on-camera interviews, I was just, I was unpracticed and I was raw. And I was like, I think we're just looking for her body. I think she is already passed. And, and people would just be like, how can a mother say that? Like, why would she assume that? And, and it's because of that. I just felt like she's okay. And it brought me so much peace. And, and I still, I still worried at times and I still, it was still really hard, but there was this underlying feeling of, oh, she's happy. <laughs> and that's all I ever wanted for her was to be happy, right? Isn't that all we ever want? <laughs> just want our kids to just be happy. <laughs> and, and I felt like she was. So I think she's great. I, I think about the spirit world all the time because I have a child there. So I'm like, what is she doing? Like, I know we know that they are teaching the gospel and stuff, but I mean, she's got to be hiking. She's got to be doing music. There's so much we don't know about the spirit world that I think about all the time. 
yeah, I want to know more about it. <laughs> That's cute, Michelle. I know I, I think of my son as maturing at this exponential rate that I can't even almost keep up with kind of his energy and his, when he first passed, I thought of him very much as a baby that was helpless and, you know, needed his mother and still needed me. And then it occurred to me at one point how, um, how awesome he has it, how, how much he's learning and how much he's still a part of our life and, and helping us. And so I love the idea of um, thinking about them being so happy. So I appreciate that. And Annie was, she was kind of a hard kid to raise. Is that right? Was uh-huh. she? <laughs> really hard. <laughs> She's super hard. She, that's how Angie relates to her, huh, Angie? Yeah. <laughs> I waited 10 years to get a sister. And then Angie came. And she was so hard. <laughs> and that's what Annie was like. Oh, Mich- no. Michelle. Annie was like that the whole time. I remember Michelle calling me one day when Annie was young and I was married and I had a little, my first child and Michelle just said, sometimes when I wonder how is this going to work out? I just think of you and say, okay, Angie's okay now. So I just have to have faith that Annie's going to be okay. And so it was funny. I, I often would look at Annie and just go, okay, going to be okay. You're going to get it gonna work out and yeah because we just I felt like we were very are very similar so she was very strong she was a very strong person and that and that enabled her to reach out to other people and um she just had a unique gift to love people she just loved them she would take them into her heart which I think is a really unique gift but yeah, she was hard to parent because she was so strong-willed. So do you have any advice for those of us who have hard kids? How do you love a hard kid? Got to rely on the Lord. Got to trust in God. You have to have help every single day. You need to stay connected to the Spirit and just let, people will say, what's the advice you give as a mother? I don't think you can ever give one piece of advice that would be an answer to every child other than have the spirit be your guide because he's going to tell you what to do for each person individually. Keep the spirit, keep the spirit, keep the spirit. Can I add something to that? Um, Michelle has always been very obedient and has always been submissive and willing to submit from my perspective. That's not true. From my perspective as an older sister, I've always seen her be, from, from my perspective, you know, always very respectful of our parents and, 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 and I feel like as a parent, she has always been so loving to her kids and has given them the benefit of the doubt and just really been loving. So I think in connection to her ability to hear the spirit in her, in connection to her counsel to have the spirit be your guide and have to be really patient and loving and giving your children the benefit of the doubt and, and remember when you maybe struggled in certain times. And, and I think Michelle has done that. So I can say from what I've observed with Michelle, she's, she loves first. She loves first. So I would say just from Michelle's example, loving first and having the spirit really help you. So to love. So, but I have not always 
and obedient. I have not, I have, I am a sinner and I have had to repent a lot and I still have to. So I, I do have to clarify that. Okay. Yeah. You know, could I, if I could just jump in here, one of the things that I have been learning so much about that's helped me and strengthened me so much because all of our lives, you know, we, we want to overcome fear because whenever we face hard things, we are filled with a lot of fear of how this, how is this going to turn out? And is this going to be okay? And how long will this take? And will I be okay in all of this? And, and the fear that we're not going to be able to parent that and that the reason it'll get worse is because I am the parent of that. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And so when Elder Uchtdorf spoke in his talk, oh, maybe three conferences ago of perfect love cast without fear, that talk was such a game changer for me in this area because I had just really stuck to, you know, faith is the opposite of fear. And if your faith is strong, then you'll be able to overcome your fear. But sometimes in hard places, your faith is such a hard thing to to find because you think it's so hard. It's hard for me to put a finger on my faith, right? But I do know what love is. And that really has strengthened me to think, you know what? I'm good. I'm, I'm good at knowing what love is. And, um, when he taught that love, just like faith, was just as strong at casting out fear, that was such a strength to me that if I just love first, that perfect love casteth out fear. And don't, don't worry so much whether I have enough faith to get this healed or to call down the powers of heaven for my child, or, but I can I can stay in a place of that love. I understand that. It was such a helpful thing to me, a helpful thing for me personally, and been such a powerful thing for me to share with the women that I coach and teach. It's been so cool. That's a really, really good point. Thank you for making that. We just had a girl that uh, shared, she spoke on Sunday, and she talked about how her older brother has a, um, a substance addiction that he struggled with her whole memory of her life, and she's 26. And she said she would get so mad at her mom and just say, why are you helping him? You know, he's just going to turn around and and she would just be so frustrated with her mom. And her mom would say, you will not know until you're a mom. You're not going to know. You're not going to understand. But the love that a mom has for her child, it, it goes beyond all things. Love is such a wonderful thing to overcome the adversary in our trials. Because when we're, as mothers, we're asked to support so many things that are hard. And we have to act awesome in that place or think we need to and, you know, know how to do that. But we've never stood there before. And it's just such a, um, something that we always teach here, like in a big way, is there's only one enemy, only one and it's not you and it's not your husband or your child or, you know, there's one enemy. And so his tactic really is to try to get you to feel like your child is an enemy or your husband's an enemy so that you can't use that perfect love that casts out the fear that allows you to support that so well. So anyway, just knowing the enemy is, 
such a big part of, because a lot of women, when we say love, love is such a big deal. It's really a contentious place to try to find that place in really hard things because you go through this process of, I'm so upset, so upset that this is going on and that, that after all that we've taught you or all that's gone through or, how, you know, a husband, after, you know, we have covenants and we have years and we have kids and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So to be able to find that perfect love that casts out fear really has so much to do with understanding there's just one enemy and he's working really hard to get you to work against each other. That's the only thing I wondered in your book, Michelle, is I thought so many of these highly charged emotional places are difficult on relationships. And I wondered if you noticed any of that. In our, in my relationship with my husband or yeah. just mean with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we were really blessed to weather it really well. It was actually a huge blessing that we didn't, we didn't struggle with each other through it. What was interesting was after the dust had settled, we all of a sudden had like all of these insecurities that we hadn't realized we had before. And we both started acting more out of fear than out of faith because I think of just what we've been through. Yeah. And it was weird. It was a weird place to be. So um, we had to acknowledge it. Okay, we're acting weird. <laughs> because why? Because we feel like we failed at this, or I'm worried that my next child is going to this, or I'm, you know, mm-hmm. all of these insecurities came up. And, and so we would, yeah, we would act out out of fear. And we would have to go, we'd have, we'd have to talk it through. Okay, you know, we're weird right now. We're feeling all this stuff. So yeah, it did it did affect our relationships and we and and the way we treated our other children too. So yeah, there was a lot to work through. But the initial like the going through the search and all of that, I, I think we were carried. Yeah. <laughs> we're helped through that hard part. Yeah, thank you. So how are things at the Schmidt house today? How how are you guys doing? How do you continue to feel Annie in your life and her love? We're in a lot better place two years after. The first year after is really, really rough and awful. And um, I feel like we've gone through something really hard. (laughs) And I'm just, we're just we're grateful for times that are not hard now. <laughs> like we'd had um, our last spring break or something. I was just like comparing this one to last one. I'm like, it's so much better. We're doing better. We're doing better. And I'm always really grateful for that. My twins are home from their missions and that is so much better. And I just love having my family back together finally. So I think we're doing better. <laughs> we're not we're not problem free, but we're doing better. I just wanted to say from certain things Michelle shared, I know that during the search and then afterward, Michelle would have people share things with her about Annie that she didn't know about. 
And I think that has continued to happen. And I think in so many ways that and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, but I feel like that has been a, such a fun, surprising way to have Annie keep creeping back in, you know, like, Oh, here's Annie again. And here's, here's how Annie just continues to touch people's lives. And you asked about how, how, how have you felt Annie? And, and I know that's something you've shared, Michelle, that you keep having, or you've had people in the past share things. And um, I think that's a neat way. To- uh, I mean, I guess she's continuing to minister. People tell me that they feel her, that she's doing stuff. And I mean, I don't know. She doesn't talk to me. I know when she talked to me and I haven't had her talk to me since then. Mm-hmm. Um, probably with us. She's probably with us more than I realize. But, um, I mean, I'd love her to come talk to me and tell me something. That'd be more awesome than anything. Mm-hmm. But the veil's pretty real. So, not with her as much as I wish I, I was. She's probably pretty busy helping people, is my guess. I'm sure she's really busy. <laughs> busy to talk to her mom. so you mentioned your twin boys that they were on missions when annie went missing and i is it true that they did stay out on their missions they did they come home for annie's funeral they did they just came home from the funeral they were here like three days like in and out from europe um which is good it was good. They, they felt very strongly they wanted to come home for it. And, and they have neat experiences that I share in the book that have really special mm-hmm. experiences that help them to stay on their missions. And, yeah, they, they did really great, which I was so grateful for because, you know, I was worried they would not be okay. And they, and they did well. They did great. That is a really beautiful part of the book where you share emails that you received from them. And wow, yeah, really beautiful. Yeah, it's it was really their their emails were just. I mean, they were just they had a mantle, and you could feel it. It was real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was something that was very strengthening. We're so grateful, Michelle, for you coming for being just so real and adorable and funny and. We just, we think you're great. We love your sister, Angie, that we've gotten to get to know you. Is there anything else you'd like to say, Michelle, before we sign out? Thank you. Thank you for being so awesome. I just feel a lot of love for all of you. I think that we, I think that we are here right now doing what we're doing for a purpose. All of us. And I'm grateful that we can be a support to one another. And I know that we will triumph. Amen. If you guys get a chance to review the book carried on Amazon or Deseret Book or Barnes and Nobles, that just helps get the word out more. This book is it's worth your time. Thank you, Michelle Schmidt, for joining us on this special Mothers Who Know webinar. We are so grateful for your willingness to share from your book, Carried, How One Mother's Trust in God Helped Her Through the Unthinkable. This has been a production of Life Changing Services. Visit lifechangingservices.org slash mothers who know 
for more free podcasts. For Karen Broadhead, this is Stacy Roundy. We'll see you next time.